You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. talking about the pretty things sf sorrow in the room i have rob john adam and ben hello sf sorrow is the fourth album by the english rock group the pretty things released in december of 1968 on columbia records the producer is norman smith and the genre is psychedelic rock and psychedelic pop after releasing their third album emotions as a final contractual obligation to their label fontana the pretty things who had only minor commercial success with their rough-around-the-edges R&B were approached by EMI producer-engineer Norman Smith. The band was thinking about a completely different direction and developed the idea for SF Sorrow, a bold and uncompromising concept record with a complete storyline that has since been acknowledged as the first-ever rock opera, as it was released a year before The Who's Tommy. The Pretty Things tell the bulk of the story through small paragraph-like chapters which were printed between each song's lyrics in the liner notes. These notes were read out loud between song performances by Arthur Brown during the Pretty Things' first of two known live performances of the opera. I'm going to paraphrase here. SF Sorrow opens with the birth of the story's protagonist's name, SF Sorrow. At the turn of the 20th century, the boy lives in a small village and develops a schoolboy love for a girl next door and works at the local factory as many older men are being laid off. SF Saro becomes engaged to the girl but is drafted to fight in the war and after seeing the horrors of warfare survives but his fiancée is killed in a balloon accident reminiscent of the Hindenburg. Sorrow becomes isolated and depressed and meets a mysterious baron that takes Sorrow through a mirrored room where Sorrow can see all of his past actions. Sorrow realizes that in his old age, he is no longer useful in society and retreats into dark mental seclusion. The album has been cited as influential to many bands, including Led Zeppelin and The Who, but the album never had any real commercial success, partially due to the dark and depressing lyrics combined with the psychedelic musical stylings that might have been viewed as overbearing and ostentatious. Or it could be that the album was released the same week as the Beatles' White Album and the Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society. All right, what do we think of SF Sorrow? Surprise delight. Yeah, I was surprised to like it as well. I I don't know. I need to hear it a little more before I'm sure. But yeah. Yeah, never knew it existed, but... I'd never heard of it. Really enjoyed it, yeah. I liked it a lot. I was familiar with... I've got got a Pretty Things best of, like, uh, their early years. And uh, and and it's all. It sounds kind of like a garagier, a bit heavier, early Rolling Stones, and I like it a lot. And I was really curious to see what like a psychedelic concept record by the band that that's the only output that I was familiar with. And 
I, I couldn't have been happier. Uh, this is the kind of psychedelia that I think uh, works. I think it's effective. Uh, the story is really cool, and it's it's dark, and it's cool. They've got all, like, the psychedelic effects, and, like, there's, like, the psychedelic weirdness, and there's the psychedelic, like, effects on the vocals and the and the panning of the instruments and stuff. But it never, never at the expense of being a rock and roll record. This album is, it's like, it's like the rhythm section never abandons their duties of keeping this thing moving forward. I thought it was really cool. I, I've listened to it like four times by now, and I, I like it better every time I've listened to it. This record, uh, I think, shows a lot more of, I mean, it's got like this elements of the San Francisco psychedelica, but it's very Beatlesy too. I mean, I, I kept noticing melodies that like could have been lifted straight off of like Sergeant Peppers or something. And like at times I thought it was a little too derivative in terms of the production and uh, performance, but like uh, it also then would pop in and there'd be like a different song that was you know, creative in a different way and had a little more of its own flair and personality. But I thought it was an interesting lesson for sure. You were mentioning the production. Uh, Norman Smith, who's a producer of this, uh, I know, like, oh shit, George Martin. Uh, yeah. George Martin is the producer of Sgt. Pepper's, but I read that Norman Smith worked on Sgt. Pepper's as well as Piper at the Gates of Dawn. That checks out. Yeah. Yeah, because like I, I felt like there were things that were like, what do they do on Sgt. Pepper's? And then just repeat that exact technique of like vocal layering and then like, delay type stuff it just felt like there was some very conscious yeah i didn't mention it but this was abbey road yep. studio and so oh, yeah so uh, it's funny that because yeah. i don't know anything about this record all i did was listen to it today and i i'd never heard of the band i didn't look them up or anything but it's yeah. interesting when you can actually identify yeah like a signature sound i mean granted like the beatles are most heard band out there bigger than yeah. jesus yeah <laughs> and in pink floyd at Thanks, the same John. time this was being recorded the white album was being recorded and uh pink floyd a saucer full of secrets was cool. also being recorded in the stu- in the yeah. roads when we were uh when we were covering piper at the gates of dawn and we were reading about how much pink floyd was clashing with their producer because like the producer was down to get weird but pink floyd was down to like like break every rule and the producer's like okay but i at least need to set up microphones and you at least need to play an instrument and like they were like especially him and sid barrett like their recording sessions were just fraught with clashing uh apparently the same uh dude uh, norman smith got along great with uh the pretty things and they had like the same focus it sounded like like they give him a lot of credit for like helping them achieve what they kind of had pictures or pictured in their heads. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I actually wrote down uh, on <clears throat> right at the beginning of Bracelets uh, of Fingers, I think is the name of the song. Yeah. Uh, I wrote, oh, they were like Pet Sounds and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. <laughs> um, the, I'm still pretty convinced that the Spotify version of this is the stereo version, and that's why I was having so much trouble with it. Um, like, or my earbuds are going dead. One of the two things was happening, but it, it was only on this record. Like, so you're I, not I, hearing it right now. Oh no, I, no, it, this sounds beautiful. This yeah. is perfect. Like, literally, like this shit would shit would drop out of my right ear. Oh, weird. No, for I, a while, and then it would come back in. I think people have said that about 
a couple of the different recordings and versions is that some of the 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 drops in the pannings do cause it to almost drop out entirely for like thirty seconds well, yeah, at a time. To- totally did, yeah. and I, I thought that was like, well, they're they're, they're really exploring the room. Uh, right, so I think that also contributed to it not selling well. Yeah, um, I fucking loved this record. I had no idea that it existed, and then I heard it, and I was like, holy shit! Like the like the the immediate thing that popped in my head was like. Well, you know, Neutral Milk Hotel has a whole lot of uh, oh, thinking yeah. to do on fucking uh, Airplane Out of the Sea. Jesus fucking Christ. They about caught the whole goddamn thing off of it. Um, yeah, there's not a bad song on it. Uh, vocal delivery's rad. Like, it's poppy enough to, like, keep my interest. But then, like, the when the weird shit comes in, I'm like, oh, neat. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I had no idea the Pretty Things were a band before this. And I can't believe this is the first time I heard it. Yeah, the vocal delivery, as you were saying, Rob, is really interesting. I thought that even on um, a song like "Old Man Going," it sounded a bit like favorite song. Like, like that it's, was my favorite song. It sounded a bit like, like awesome. I mean, I don't know how to say, it, like Dave Mustaine, kind of like a little mm-hmm. bit like his strained vocals, like in uh, you know uh, Megadeth "Sweating Bullets," that kind of. I, hello me <laughs> it's a lot like that in yeah, the going. real me yeah. yeah I wrote down he says to the grave yeah I mean it's got some it's got some pretty rad lines yeah. in it like they'll soon forget the field you lie in yeah it's like <laughs> it's, it's dark it's pretty tight you, you hear at, at the beginning of old man going it's pretty much the pinball wizard guitar strumming pattern yeah yeah which is kind of interesting because everybody what was the what was the deal with the releasing it came, this one out came out This one came Tommy. out first. A year, but not but, in the, but US. Not in the US. US. Yeah. And so everybody thought when this got released in the US that they were jocking yeah. the Who. Yeah, Rare yeah. Earth, uh, fucking uh, Rare Earth, right? Yeah. Motown yeah. Uh, label for rock bands. Got the rights to it, didn't promote it for shit, and it came out four months after, like, uh, Tommy had already been sitting at number one for a minute. Like, yeah, they, they, they got robbed. I mean, I'll say it, I like it better than Tommy. It. Yeah, I, I do too, actually. But speaking of not promoting it, EMI wouldn't even cough up money for album art. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was the band members. Wow. Like, they, they drew this. It actually looks cool. But yeah, that's that is yeah that's that's I, it in-house artwork by the band. I was I was gonna say that I when I looked at the album cover, I was just like, oh, what is this gonna be like? You know. I, it it's looks kind of like one of those Dolly. I not, thought it was a uh, yeah, Dolly. Yeah, yeah. For sure. It's not the worst, but if they would have got a real artist, I feel like it would be more so iconic. You a know, real they, artist, like, any support from a yeah. label on either <laughs> continent. Yeah. Not shaping their album like a tombstone with rounded corners oh, yeah. so it hides behind yeah, other I albums at that. the record store. <laughs> yeah, they, they got a die cut version of it. Uh, that was it, it, The top two corners were rounded. But then when people are flipping through the records, they miss it. <laughs> oh my god, it's like a strategy of failure. Great living branches that stretch out their arms and must wait a while. Bending my mind as I pick up flowers in May. Hearing the laughter that turns into tears every I'm 
the song Bracelets of Fingers. So it's a song about, you know, coming of age, like start noticing girls. Did you notice the, the line? And I, I don't know uh, of the, if the spoon reference is a drug reference, but the chorus, fly to the moon on the curve of a spoon, I turn upside down, tumbling through leaves as I scatter the seeds on an eiderdown. <laughs> I'm assuming being his comforter. Yeah, jerking it on the comforter. Just yeah. it on the comforter. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is the most poetic way to right? say jerking it on a comforter I've ever heard. Yeah. Scattering the seeds wow. on an eiderdown. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's what that's called now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> what are you doing in there? <laughs> Nothing. Just scattering the seeds on the night or down. <laughs> Don't do that at the local restaurant here, guys. Just putting that out there. Uh, yeah. Did, did anyone have a problem with any of these songs? Like, no. did anything pop no. out? You're like, hmm, I thought well, the that's not so good. Song, uh, song five, which is the um, balloon burning. Yeah. Ah, dude, that fucking song rip. That song is fucking metal. It's it's good, it but the the brutal the guitar just repeats is that the one where just, oh, so much. That one actually that I turned off. It was. It, the, Sarah and I both went ugh because it just—it's so loud in the mix, yeah. And it just keeps playing two notes over yes. and over again. Yeah. We actually stopped it after two minutes. Yeah. It was, and we we're like, I don't. And we talked about it, and we said, I don't think it's a bad song. It's just a really bad choice. Yeah, I, I thought that too. Yeah, that was about the only one. I thought a lot of them, like you said, the Beatles. The first thing I was like, oh, hello, Beatles concept record, like. Very Beatles centric, but also a lot of um, proto Zeppelin stuff mm-hmm. within the twelve screen, the flutes and twelve string and the flutes and things like that. There's moments and, that even sound kind of like, like the Kinks a little bit, Kinks like and Pink Floyd, and yeah. you know all those bands. I mean, it, it seemed like they were very pretty cool use of the Mellotron yeah, as well. Yeah. Please, yeah. please tell me what a Mellotron is because yeah. I don't get it. You so, want to take this one, Rob? Yeah, sure. Uh, basically, it's. Um, a bunch of tape loops. Uh, I think it has a uh, flute and uh, cello and violin. Like orchestral tape Thank loops. You. Yeah, but it, there's three it, it, versions. Fl- yeah, there's a flute version, a cello one, and a and a violin and, one. And the, the it follows the. Um, I think it plays faster as to the speed of where like if you're playing a low C or a high C, high C's playing at the hi- the higher speed mm-hmm. to, to mimic the higher it. pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a, a lot of the bands, they couldn't afford these big fucking orchestras that the Beatles were using, so in comes the Mellotron. Oh, oh it's a, it's an orchestra and a fucking yeah. uh, little thing. It's like a, a, a tape sample of an instrument, and you can make it play the notes you want. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is, We've used one on every album, usually multiple times. Like is, It's a huge signature for us because the, I think it's got this weird, eerie... Sound, yeah, you know. it's got that almost like musical uncanny valley. Of exactly. Like, it sounds like a flute, but it sounds like not a flute. Well, yep. even yeah. weirder than that exactly. is that the, the what you wanted was a almost worn out tape because that's where the real crazy fucking warbles came from. Yeah, um, so it, it, it's akin to that weird little uh. Small music movement that happened in the uh, the early two thousands of people using really low battery Casios because it was like making these fucked up noises. But to actually like they'll detune a little bit as they get older, and it'll just be like, but it's just hair off, yeah. so it's still usable in pitch. Yeah, and it, it's cool. Uh, anyone who was new to changing out the tape loops though like it was it was an hour's worth of ordeal i think the fastest you could do it was 18 minutes and that's someone who like was just super fucking quick 
but no, I mean, it was a, it, it was a cheap way to try to get an orchestra sound. Um, and it just so happens, like, it has its own, its own really cool, like, uh, quality to yeah. it. Um, yeah, go figure, magnetic tape. <laughs> it's so cool. It's, yeah. a, it's probably, like, my favorite instrument sound that's just, like, a unique thing of its own. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that. It's, and they use it well. They use yeah. it well. <laughs> Sounds fucking real neat. We were talking about, uh... Uh, the song Balloon Burning. Uh, some of the room liked it, some of the room didn't. From the concept album storyline part, it, I think it, it was it's it's the hard left turn of the album, kind yeah. of. It's like the album, it follows this dude, Sebastian F. Saro. He's born, he goes through adolescence, he gets a job in a factory, he meets a girl, he goes to war. You know, it's like standard, like early 20th century working class Britain upbringing. He comes home from war. He's meeting his fiance, who's coming in on a zeppelin, and the the lyrics, <laughs> the lyrics. Yeah, she is. Yeah, says New York, gray and sorrow, there to meet her. Night sky hangs around to greet her. She throws down a lifeline of kisses, anchored to the ground, balloon descending. Then I see balloon is burning. Turning round, burning. This balloon burning. Fragments of my life falling. Sky of fire all consuming. It's fucking, fucking it's metal. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got that sick guitar riff yeah. going through the whole thing. Adam would even prefer it to be called Bloom Blowed Up or <laughs> Blip Blip Blue. It's a, a rigid dirigible problems. Uh, <laughs> I like the idea of mashing it up with I'm Up and Away. I like that dirigible too. is one. <laughs> um... Yeah, I know. I, it's interesting to hear it also uh, through these headphones versus the way I was listening. It's a much better mix than the Spotify I, one, man. Something about the one that they that they upload to Spotify is well, just was, all off. It was the stereo version versus this is the mono, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's a huge difference. So uh, if if anyone's listening and wants to check this record out, make sure it's mono because I I actually have a different experience listening to this song mm-hmm. now than I than I was having earlier, and it was. It was dramatic before. Yep. But. No, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, the pretty things went through a lot of band members. Uh, yes. They had a like a core like a, 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 a core of original members throughout most of their existence, but they like they went through a lot of drummers. Uh, their drummer that I think he was only in the band during this album part of their career. Uh, he came from another band. He performed under the name Twink. And <laughs> and apparently he was one hell of a character. They they only was he hairless? No, <laughs> was he young? Yes, but uh, there I think there were only like two recorded like live performances of this album, and and the due to like the nature of it being like a late '60s psychedelic rock opera the band were basically miming to backing tracks. Uh, and, <laughs> and they had, like, their announcer uh, who was, like, reading the paragraphs in between the songs, and the band would then mime the songs, but also each member of the band represented a character of the story, and they, they were, like, dressed up like them. And apparently uh, Twink, the drummer, played uh, Sebastian F. Sorrow, and he did it in a leotard and mime paint. And yeah, he did. Apparently he got way into it, and I wish I could have seen it. A- apparently, speaking of being way into it, he would climb speaker stacks and jump into the audience, which is pretty rowdy. That's what you can do it's, when the drums are tracked. Yeah, well, I mean, these guys may have, may have uh, originated speaker diving. 
Oh, wow. Also, would we ha- would we have uh, the musical Cats if it weren't for Twink <laughs> diving into the audience from stage? Mr. Mustafelis. <laughs> well, the best part of Cats is <laughs> the Cats actually go into the audience. Oh, boy. <laughs> I love Rob's Broadway reviews. Wow. My favorite thing. That's the, really good. The magical Mr. Mustafelis. Oh, <laughs> boy. just on fire. <laughs> oh, my God. Beautiful cat. Beautiful pussy cat. You <laughs> just don't know what the the real names are. <laughs> they have, they, the cats have the, they have the three names. <laughs> they're like people, but they're also like cats. Exactly. <laughs> and they have a UFO. Oh, there's a lot going on. There's a All lot right. of memories in the moonlight. <laughs> oh my god. It's you. think about this fucking loved it recommend it to everybody this album fucking rips and i am i this is the first time in a very long time since we started doing this podcast where i was actually excited i got to hear a new record that i want to listen to a lot robbie got happy he did it 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 happened guys thank you thank you (laughs) i second rob i had this same reaction it's been nice surprise nothing but a delight a very positive, like a very positive surprise. I would recommend this album to anyone. I am going to be looking for a copy of apparently the mono recording. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add one last thing, uh, John. Did you catch the Baron Saturday reference? I did, and uh, I thought it was great because uh, I love all things uh, religious studies oriented. Baron Samedi, and, and I thought it was great. Yeah, Samedi is Saturday. Yeah. So their song Baron Saturday is about Baron Samedi, which is one of the loa in voodoo. And uh, he Law is... Law of the Dead. Law of the Dead, exactly. And so for him to come in after Balloon Burning and Death is pretty Checks apropos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the Law are basically intermediaries between Earth and, like, the, the good God. And so they... Y- you are their servant. And so when he meets with Baron Samidi, it's, it's kind of like a journey into the, the idea of, you know, what it means to be alive and death and, and mm-hmm. possible resurrection of his, of his girlfriend or fiance, yeah. but not, you know, but nothing comes of it. It's like side one is like his story from birth up until this huge midlife event. And then side two is like an inner reflection guided by Baron Saturday. Yeah. It's rad. And it leaves him a crippled shell of an old man. <laughs> <laughs> by the end. I, I think I'm with you guys. I just, is a very interesting concept that just caught me completely off guard, especially just not hearing it before and putting it on. And it's very heady, but it also works, which Mm -hmm. is so surprising. It never stops being a rock record. Yeah. I think that is really what carries it on for me is it doesn't stray too much away from that. Their R and B roots. Yeah. And so they, they know how to make a rock song, and this is just incorporating. It's very smart. Yeah, I mean, it's some good, take notes. Good entire lyrics. city of San Francisco. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, so is that a positive for you? Positive. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Any anything where someone tries something so ambitious, ambitious. Yeah, that was, was going to be my exact comment. Is, I give them a little credit, but then to pull it off and to actually perform these interesting songs make them so diverse but make them flow together and then have the concept behind it i mean even if you had no idea that it was a concept record still great songs yeah i feel yeah it's interesting because i didn't know it was a concept record when i listened to it before and i liked it and on second listen knowing more about the back story I'm even much more impressed really about just like the detail work and then the closer listening opportunities. And yeah, I think oftentimes when there's a concept record, people like people will tend to almost like subtract points rather than award. And I'm, I'm the opposite is, Oh, you tried to do something more than just write a bunch of singles to try to get a bunch of songs on the radio. Like you were actually trying to like make something well, uh, Adam, didn't you just have a concept record come out this year? I every year, baby. Hey! Uh, but, uh, but no, but it's like, uh, but I think it's, I think if you talk to the people who are making the records, it's really about like the idea of like trying to do something that encompasses and ties together all the songs, and it makes like this is the sort of the book that, or this is the sort of album that should be in this book for all the stuff that shouldn't be in here because oh, yeah. there's one good song or whatever, mm-hmm. like. This is an album that somebody worked, or a group of people worked their asses off to make a unique, creative thing, and it's all about the whole record. So, yeah, I mean, definitely a plus. And it's musically great. Uh, total positive on it. Plus, it lets you do that thing where somebody's like, well, Tommy was the first rock opera. You're like, no, <laughs> motherfucker. Get fucked. And, really and not Tommy. only do you get to say no, yeah. you get to say, and listen to this. Yeah. And it's great. And then you turn it all the way up to 10, and then you say, if it's too loud, you're too old. That's right. Oh, that's a good move. <laughs> it, while you're playing the old man going. <laughs> <Yes. What? laughs> uh, turn it up to 10, and let them know the psychotic break happens at track 7. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that'll do it. Next time we'll be talking about Simon and Garfunkel bookends. Oh. All right, thanks, y'all. Thanks.